Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, July 14th. Talk of a fall election is increasing across the country. At this point, the Conservatives are in trouble, according to the most recent polls. What does the party need to do to turn things around, and could we see a change in leadership in the not-too-distant future? We get the thoughts of MRU political scientist Lori Williams. Do you stream movies and sporting events on your computer? Well, if you do, it's probably best to get some research going on your go-to websites for streaming. We hear all about the real and present danger when it comes to online streaming from a cybersecurity expert. Next, it's our weekly Ask the Doctor segment with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. As always, Dr. Janney answers COVID-19 questions as sent in by you, the listener. And finally, it's a new approach to banking for Canada's Indigenous people. We learn about the new One Feather bank card that expands access to financial institutions for First Nations members with some culturally relevant features. Uh, Polls across the country show the Conservatives under leader Aaron O'Toole well behind the Liberals with a fall election looking more and more likely. But is the party looking to push the eject button on O'Toole and bring back perhaps even former leader Stephen Harper? Monroe University political scientist Lori Williams is here to help answer that question for us. Good morning to you, Lori. Good morning. How are you, Andy? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. So is this even in the realm of possibility that we could see O'Toole given his walking papers and the triumphant return of Stephen Harper in the next few weeks or month? Uh, extremely unlikely. Of course, nothing is possible. Uh, it would be a terrible time. I mean, as bad as the, the Conservatives are looking right now, they do have a chance of, of moving up slightly in the polls, uh, moving into the next election. But uh, given everything involved in putting together a new leadership race or, or even acclaiming a new leader um, would put them in a position where somebody is brand new to the party, trying to generate support and reach out to Canadians, um, basically in the middle of an election campaign. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Laurie, from what you see and hear, what's the mood of the Conservative Party, considering they are trailing in the polls? And, and O'Toole is really doing very little to ignite the right in this country. Right. Well, it's not so much that he's not igniting the right, although that's part of the problem. The the big issue, and and this is a challenge for any conservative leader, is that about 60% of Canadians are more centrist. And the the Conservative Party has a faction that really wants to pull them to the right. And it's very difficult to hang on to the people that are supporters of the party that brought people like Aaron O'Toole to the to the leadership. They did this for Andrew Scheer as well. Difficult to hold them and reach out to Canadians that are at the center right. Mm. Um, so that's that's the, the factions within the party and the um, the fact that most Canadians are sitting to the the left of them is 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 the biggest challenge that they face. But part part of the problem is that Aaron O'Toole is still trying to introduce himself or mm. or, or let Canadians know who he is. And I think that's why people are so so frustrated. And certainly conservatives are just beyond frustrated with with the fact that Aaron O'Toole has not managed to raise uh, their fortunes in the polls. You say he has not managed to raise their fortunes. So can we kind of pin it on O'Toole or is he just the man at the top on a train that's sputtering at this point? Well, it's partly the challenges of being a leader of of, uh, conservatives. Um, It's also the fact that a lot of politicians are are benefiting from the fact the pandemic appears to be easing at the very least that life is is 
becoming something like normal again, and, and people are, are feeling fairly optimistic and have a lot of uh, appreciation for the government that brought those vaccines into the country and that are making it more something more like a normal life possible right now. Laurie, from what you just said, um, you know, is, is it more than that Canadians may not necessarily be in love with Justin Trudeau, but more sort of relate to the Liberals and the Liberal platform than would to an O'Toole and the Conservatives? It is partly policy-based, and there's, there's no question about that. Um, there's appreciation for the policies that the federal government brought in during the pandemic that made it possible to survive in, in a very difficult economic climate. Um, but it's also just sort of that vision. And, and one of them we're seeing in, in very recent polls just yesterday, um, polls that are indicating that Canadians want to see um, exploration of alternative sources of energy and to reduce our reliance on carbon. Um, that's a, a, a policy on which the Conservatives just really don't have an alternative. That cost them, in my view, the 2019 election, and it's still a problem for them. They don't have a credible alternative, and until they do, I think it's going to be difficult for them mm. uh, to make headway. I think if if the Trudeau government sort of reaches the the shelf life of a lot of governments. Basically, people are starting to see more flaws than benefits, and they're looking for alternatives. There could be more more of an opening for the Conservatives, but it depends on their policies, and it depends on their leaders. You, you talk about, you know, maybe some missteps, or, you know, again, if the, the Liberals uh, run their course to a certain extent, that that's, the, you know, their position. But if you were contracted, for example, to, to hop on board and, and be a consultant, and I know it's crystal ball time, what, what, what does the, uh, the CPC need to do to turn things around. What's missing and what's the, the, the magic bullet, if you will? Well, I don't think there's a magic bullet for the the expected fall election. Um, they do need to try to bring themselves up in the polls. And I think I think actually the announcement that Aaron O'Toole made uh, here last week, uh, indicating that he would look at, at equalization, that he would look at the fairness of the Federation, is going to appeal in provinces where he's already got a fair bit of support. What he's got to do is is develop policies that are more appealing um, to people that are um, in other provinces, basically. I mean, he's got room for growth in Quebec. Um, the Conservatives are often looked at as, a, as an alternative to the Bloc there, uh, and he's got room to grow there even in this, in this upcoming election. Um, but what he's got to do is, is come up with policies uh, and a direction and a vision that appeals to folks that, that um, are in those provinces where he needs to pick up votes. And again, that's where we really don't have a lot of clarity. Now, we don't have the election platform for the Conservatives in the upcoming election. We've just got a few sort of policy um, gestures and a lot of backlash from within the party um, in response to those. And that, I think, is, is a huge disadvantage for Aaron O'Toole. It was for Andrew Scheer. It's very difficult to keep those dissidents under control within the party. And that's why Stephen Harper is being seen as potential alternative. Mm. But it's, it's a difficult thing to do. I mean, Jason Kenney is having a terrible time trying to do that here in Alberta. Uh, the fact is that conservatives have a lot of pretty profound uh, disagreements and historically even though there's been that attempt to sort of unite them um, on a number of occasions the challenges of a united conservative party whether it's called that name or the canadian uh, 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 the conservative party of canada whatever the case may be it's just a very difficult group to govern and it takes i guess a, a willingness or openness on the part of the membership and a very strong visionary leader to, to hold that together 
Uh, just only a couple of seconds left, Lori, but your thoughts, your predictions on an expected fall election, is it coming? Almost certainly, unless these polls start to shift in a dramatic way. We saw polls shift in a very dramatic way in the 2015 election. If you recall, people gave Justin Trudeau uh, very very slight chances of, of even improving, much less forming a majority. Uh, and that election campaign made all the difference. So, you know, it's tougher for someone like Aaron O'Toole, but it's not impossible for him to pull back up in the polls. And and if that happens, then it's bad news for Jagmeet Singh because he'll lose uh, some of his support because people flock to the, to the Liberals to prevent the Conservatives from forming government. And it'll be an interesting yeah. few months ahead federally for sure. Thanks for your time Indeed. this morning. Thank you. And is uh, Lori Williams, Associate Professor, Faculty of Economics, Justice, Policy Studies, Mount Royal University. There's no shortage of streaming services out there, and uh, there's the ones you pay for. They're generally safe. But what about the free streaming sites popping up on the Internet? Our next guest says they're not very safe. In fact, you should beware. Joining us now is uh, Alexi Dores John Cass, Security Intelligence Team Lead with ESET Internet Security. Good morning to you, Alexi. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. A timely topic because it seems like more and more people are perhaps choosing to cut the cable, so to speak, and go online to stream the latest in sports or Hollywood blockbusters. But streaming, uh, you know, it's easy to do. But of course, there are bad people waiting to maybe take advantage of you. Uh, advantage of you. Isn't that the case? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so let's talk about like how, how does this happen even? So, first of all, there are some really legitimate streaming websites. They are uh, ran by uh, reputable companies and organizations. And what we're talking about this morning is all those free streaming websites that don't belong to companies or organizations that we ever heard about. Um, and so those can be abused by criminals to, um, to exploit their visitors. How so, Alexi? I mean, if I, you know, sign up for one and it, you know, it seems like it's no big deal, I'm getting some free movies out of it and I'm not paying anything, so I feel good. I mean, what can they possibly do to me? It's, it's, uh, it's uh, only the, up to their imagination. Uh, there are so many ways that they can make money and profit off their visitors. Just to give you a couple of examples, if you ever landed on such those, uh, on such website, you must have noticed that sheer number of ads that you will be uh, facing and uh, some are legitimate and some can be malicious uh, uh, they might have fake close buttons for example and instead of closing the ad itself it will direct you to uh, another website that may show unwanted content uh, we've seen a lot of adult content uh, being pushed that way to visitors um, so that's that's one one thing Maybe the most dangerous um, cases are when the websites will propose the installation of a special plugin or a special software that mm. they claim is necessary to uh, watch the free content. And more often than not, that ends up to being malware. Mm, interesting. Uh, yeah. it, it is, to me, it's you know movies with the Disney Plus and Amazon Prime, obviously, Netflix. There's so many different options for streaming movies. But to me, the interesting one is sports because, as we know, as a sports fan, you know, a movie, you can watch it whenever. But if it's a, the big MMA fight or a championship game that you have to watch, there might be a sense of urgency. So it happens more and more when it comes to streaming sports these days, Alexi, doesn't it? Exactly. People are caught in the moment. They, oh, they realize the game is on. Right now they want to stream and they, they lose their sense of caution and they're ready to click on anything just to get the live stream. So um, people need to be cautious 
and uh, look for reputable streaming services. Okay, so help us out. We do it, we get hacked. What's our next move? Well, before you get hacked, so <laughs> there are some things that you can still do to uh, to protect yourself. Um, so, and it, it goes to, to basic security advice. So if you land on one of those malicious sites and you face uh, malicious content, if you take some measures beforehand, you uh, you uh, may avoid uh, the worst case scenario. So make sure that your software is up to date. So your uh, your laptop, your mobile, so that everything you're running is up to date. That will help prevent the exploitation of uh, software weaknesses that may help um, the malware or malicious code to to execute. And we can't stress this enough, back up your data regularly. Mm. We've all heard people uh, getting hit by ransomware, so having a backup is the ultimate way to be safe. You can recover everything. And the last advice is to use a password manager. One of the, so one of the tricks that, the, the, that we've seen the bad guys use on, on those streaming sites, they, they will ask for personal information. Um, and if you happen to uh, enter one of your passwords on those sites, the attackers may try to reuse it and to gain access to your other account if you reused that same password on other websites. Which most so of us think, have. Pardon me? Which most of us have, right? Yes, and that's that's something that uh, I'm advocating every day to, to change. It's a habit that we need to, uh, to start uh, deploying every day to use a different password for every account we use online. It's interesting because a lot of the times when you, you know, you go about your business, maybe you've streamed that movie or watched that event. How can we tell? I mean, it seems to me like people would back in the day always be having their, you know, security software up to date. But should should we be scanning our uh, PCs and, uh, you know, iOS systems regularly? That's a great question. And nor so it, it cannot hurt. But uh, the, the good security software will actually scan everything as it appears on, on the computer. So if something is being downloaded or executed, the um, security software will scan it automatically for you. Uh, I mean, it cannot hurt to do it. Like, it's a weekly scan, but it's, it's not the first thing you should do. What do we do, Alexi, about our kids? They have their phones, they've got iPads, they're streaming, perhaps they have access to, you know, our, our sites, or they're just finding some of these. They're the ones who are the best at finding some of these free dodgy sites for sure. So can we control it? What do we do? Yeah, they are really creative. When they want yeah. something, they're going to find a way. Yeah. Um, so I think having an open conversation with, with our kids when they're old enough to, uh, so that they know about the risks of just browsing and looking for, uh, for contents that uh, they may not be allowed to, to get in the first place, uh, just so that they're aware of the risk and, and to never enter personal information on any website uh, or to ask uh, their parents. Um, and then there are some uh, technical solutions um, that uh, have, um, it's called parental control. So it's a way to control the types of, of websites uh, that are allowed on a device uh, to restrict uh, um, to restrict access uh, to our kids. But really having a, having a conversation is, is, a really, uh, is a really important point uh, to tell them about what's out there, what they may face and uh, and go from there. Very interesting times that we live in and many ways to get scammed. So we appreciate your expert advice to try to protect us when it comes to streaming. Thank you so much, Alexi. My pleasure.
That is Alexi Dores, John Cass, Security Intelligence Team Lead with ESET. You can find out more info at ESET, that's E-S-E-T dot com. Since the beginning of the pandemic, we've been posing your COVID-19 questions to our expert, He is the associate professor from the Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney. Good morning to you once again, Dr. Janney. Good morning. Going to go right out the gate with the first Mm. question here. And here it comes. Uh, Doctor, I had a mild reaction from my first shot, but I also know some that have had nasty reactions from their second shot. For example, high fever, vomiting. I'm going for my second shot very soon and I'm a bit nervous. What can I expect? Yeah, so the, we haven't seen a, a direct linkage that if you had a reaction on the first one, you're going to get a reaction on the second one, or if it was bad on the first one, it's going to be worse on the second. We've had people who have had no reaction on the first have a reaction on the second, and vice versa. People with a strong reaction to the first shot get no reaction at all on the second. So it's up to the individual patient. Everybody's immune system is a little bit different. The good news is even if you do get one of those reactions after the second shot, it's typically only 24, 48 hours. You're allowed to take an Advil, Tylenol, and just wait it out that 24 hours. And then uh, not only will it disappear quickly, but you'll have that protection from COVID. I know you've answered this before, but if you could again, is mm-hmm. it, when people do have a reaction, is that their body sort of fighting it but accepting it? Or is it just really how your body reacts and it's not a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. So what we experience as an adverse reaction is our immune system. That is what our immune system does. One of the most powerful things our our body can do is a fever. We use that to get rid of viruses and and bacteria. So that is our immune system kicking into action. Now, I've had other people say, well, I didn't get a reaction. Does that mean my immune system is Mm -hmm. still working? And in fact, it, it does still work because we've checked. We've looked at people's blood, and they do very much get an immune response. It just happens to not generate those those other symptoms. So every person's a little bit different, and that reaction is not a good indicator of did you respond to the vaccine or not. Almost everybody we look at does respond quite well to the vaccine, regardless of the symptoms. Dr. Jenny, I want to get your reaction to comments made by the chief scientist from the World Health Organization in the past couple of days here that says, oh, stop it right there. Maybe mixing vaccines is not the greatest idea. Now we're hearing more, and I read an article this morning that said that the the comment perhaps was taken out of context. So, you know, it seems like we get some, you know, a different report every couple weeks or so. Where are we with the mixing of the vaccines? So the evidence is very strong, at least with the vaccines we have in Canada, that it is safe to do. So interchanging Moderna and Pfizer has been happening in multiple countries now for six, seven months. So we we know that that one is quite safe. The uh, replacement of a second dose of AstraZeneca with Moderna or Pfizer, again, we've got very clear evidence from the UK that has conducted a clinical trial on this. I think the comments are, are speaking more broadly, and we found out basically the next morning that there are a number of countries that are looking at mixing and matching a different vaccine that's not approved in Canada with Pfizer or Moderna as a follow-up shot. And those two vaccines use very, very different targets. So although in in our hands, AstraZeneca and and Pfizer may be different technology, they're still 
targeting the same piece of the virus. And as a result, we believe and we know and have now tested, they work really well together. But that's not the same case if you're targeting different pieces of the coronavirus. And we have no evidence that mixing and matching those kind of vaccines is is a good idea. But the ones we use in Canada, uh, very much interchangeable. Uh, Dr. Jenny, a couple of people asking the same related question. Is there any update on the relationship between the mRNA vaccines and heart inflammation in young people, specifically teen boys? Yeah, so there's not a direct uh, causal linkage. We don't have the mechanism. There does seem to be that increase in the number of people that present with symptoms. And this is a combination of both. It can be caused by the vaccine. We think it is. We think that there could be a linkage. But we're also very much more looking for it now. So we're hyper uh, aware of symptoms. And where some of these kids would have developed uh, this uh, myocarditis to begin with, we're now detecting it. We're now very much you know, sensitive to anybody with symptoms. We go to the doctor and we see more of these cases. So it's difficult to pin down exactly how many are caused by the vaccine and we don't have a, a mechanism. What we do know is that when they are detected, we can treat them. And right now in Canada, we've not had anything severely linked to the vaccine. So something to be aware of. If you have any questions, if it feels off, Mm -hmm. do not hesitate to see a doctor. But it is an extremely rare event. And in Canada, we've not had any serious complications. Dr. Janney, we have to take a quick break. Can you stick around for two more minutes? Sure thing. We are back with infectious disease specialist, Dr. Craig Janney. Thank you for staying with us, sir. Okay, question for you, and I've seen this on social media. Has there been an increase in cases of shingles related to the vaccine? I've not heard this. Uh, I've not seen any clinical data. Um, These are two very, very different viruses. Uh, what we do know is that shingles will come back if you've had chicken pox in the past and you get largely immune suppressed. If your immune system starts to wane, gets tired, and that's not what a, a vaccine would do. So I've not seen any clinical evidence, and if there are any situations, they, they are, are simply a coincidence at this point. Could it be sort of the stress and anxiety of you know trying not to get sick, but also yeah. maybe getting a needle that, that causes it? I, th- that may be the, the only linkage. As far as, as the actual biology, there's nothing there. But as we do know, shingles is, is a stress-related thing yeah. that if your immune system gets suppressed. Yeah. And, and that we have seen for other conditions with COVID are sometimes the relief of getting the vaccine that, that you feel as though you've made it through and avoided COVID and the body begins to relax and right. that can have some effects too. All right, time to break out the crystal ball, Dr. Jody. <laughs> oh. When will the WHO declare this pandemic over? That's a great question. Um, I think once we start to see this become truly endemic, which means it is now circulating at a predictable level in the countries it's going to enter. So we do still have a number of countries where it hasn't quite taken off, hasn't quite entered. And unfortunately, with this virus, it's impossible to contain, so that will happen. In Canada, we are still riding these waves, these surges. And once that starts to level out and we're getting a predictable number of cases every year, that's when the the actual uh, designation of of a pandemic will be lifted and this will now become an endemic disease. Dr. Jenny, how long does the effectiveness of the vaccine last and can that be increased as we get better at these mRNA vaccines, for example? 
So right now, we have no evidence of it fading from the people that uh, underwent the initial trial. And at this point, we're talking over a year now. So people were being vaccinated last May and June, and they still have really robust immunity. I know there's been some confusion with Pfizer announcing it's, it's producing a booster shot. That may be required for some people that, that for example, uh, do not have as strong of an immune system. We can think of people that are immunocompromised or immunosuppressed may need. But the general public, this is a really powerful vaccine. We're looking at more than a year of immunity. And can we make that better? Uh, absolutely. I mean, early vaccines we had, we did need a number of boosters. And now for many childhood vaccines, we're looking at lifetime protection. So we will get better. But right now, it's still a very good vaccine. And, and we're not needing boosters every six months or a year at this point. Okay. Just a real quick one here. Is it safe since I already have uh, an irregular heartbeat and heart fluttering? If I suffer from that, is the vaccine safe for me? Again, there's a number of different conditions that can lead to that. That is something you absolutely have to engage with your doctor. So I've not seen any reason to suggest that you can't, but again, there are a number of different conditions that could underlie that. And absolutely open up that conversation, make your concerns known, and we will be able to best address which vaccine, if any vaccine, is a proper fit for that patient. That might be a record number of questions answered, Dr. Jenny. Thank you so much, well, as always. Welcome. Always appreciate it. Okay, Have a great day. Both. You too. Dr. Craig Janney is the Associate Professor in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Fifteen percent of Indigenous Canadians are not served by a bank. And for those living on a reserve, there are further difficulties accessing traditional financial institutions. Lawrence Lewis is the CEO and founder of One Feather, which aims to remove those barriers. And Lawrence joins us this morning. Good morning, Lawrence. Good morning, sir. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. Lawrence, uh, give us a breakdown. What exactly is One Feather and, and how does it work? Well, One Feather is uh, Indigenous uh, technologies uh, being built out of Victoria, BC. We're an Indigenous technology company. We are basically redefining that indigenous experience through tradition and innovation and, and what that means is we're taking some of the antiquated and uh, uh, you know pathways of doing a business and kind of reimagining them if you like for indigenous folks to that for an indigenous lens and that in our shared lived experience and so what that means is we take that technology we we create new interfaces new ways for indigenous folks to participate uh, that haven't uh, that they haven't had before. So, example, with our One Feather app and One Feather Pay, we're creating the ability for an indigenous person to create a, a bank account without ever having to set foot mm. uh, in a, in a bank, right? Okay. So, I was going to ask you that because let's go back to that fifteen percent of indigenous Canadians not served by a bank. Why does this traditional banking system not work for indigenous people? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, the uh, uh, simple geography, they're just nowhere near a bank. And so, you know, actually going in to create a bank account is quite an ordeal. And so when you think about the barriers to participation there, time, travel, money, uh, you know, all, all these efforts to go in to these banks and create these bank accounts. Um, and then you need all these kind of documentation and this antiquated way of doing business where like that paper-based approach, if you like. So what we do is move that all into a digital space. And we recognize, for example, Indigenous status uh, uh, registry cards, which is a federal piece of ID that aren't typically recognized by, by traditional banks. Um, and so we take out all those kind of systemic 
barriers to participation, which either by design or by accident have marginalized Indigenous folks and their ability to actually create a bank account and take advantage of banking services. So we take all that, we move it online, we, we, we go through the, um, you know, uh, identity authentication verification through a digital process that's designed specifically for Indigenous people. Uh, and then they're able to create a bank account. Literally in seconds, they can create a digital bank account uh, and be on their way and participating in the, in the in that financial space, if you like, where they didn't have access, they just simply did not have access before. You mentioned some of the very unique properties to One Feather, but I'm wondering if you can also break down some of the features and benefits. Uh, do they offer some of the same features and benefits of a traditional bank, for example? Yeah, no, exactly. So you know, once you once you get your account created and you can get your you can get your bank card uh, sent to you, you, you all of the kind of. Um, Traditional banking elements in you and I may take for granted, granted, you know, like um, transferring money, um, you know, all the same things you can integrate with the One Feather Pay Card and the One Feather app. So you can, if you say, for example, you have a traditional bank account, you can link that up uh, and you can participate, you know, just in, in the same way that you and I may take for granted. So nothing different there. Um, and in fact, what we've done through our relationship with BlockPel and with Berkeley Pay Systems is actually drive down the transactional cost. So it actually costs less to bank in that digital space than in a traditional way. Makes sense. And the other thing, yeah, and the other thing we've done is we've actually added what we call One FT, which is a One Feather token. And so it's a it's a loyalty program where every transaction earns um, those Indigenous uh, loyalty points, if you like, that only Indigenous people will be able to redeem. Now, anyone can earn them, but only Indigenous folks will to redeem them. And so that's another way where those, you know, that loyalty program is being designed specifically for Indigenous folks, and it can't be diluted or marginalized or otherwise diminished through a policy statement or something like that. That, that value is a real hard value that's locked into every transaction. And, and so that's another benefit. So again, reimagining and redefining that whole banking experience from that indigenous perspective, where every transaction um, has has some value. Uh, and so at the end of the day, we want to leave more in the pockets of indigenous folks and just create an overall better, satisfying, and more friendly um, banking experience for indigenous people across the country. Brilliant. We'll direct people to OneFeather.ca. Thanks so much for joining us, Lawrence. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a great day. You too. That's Lawrence Bye. Lewis, CEO and founder of OneFeather. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.